0: Haven't met yet uh my name is Chris, and I have the privilege of being one of your pastors here and uh, A couple of things just want to celebrate and kind of either put before you or keep before you before we jump into the message this morning uh the The first one is if you've been around for a few months, you uh, have noticed this, but one of the really exciting ways that God has really just kind of been uh moving among us is just kind of an outpouring of of baptisms the last three or four months as as people come to Christ and uh, place their faith in him and show that inward change outwardly through baptism. And so oftentimes it happens right here. But this last weekend, one of our small groups had a retreat out uh, at Myrtle Beach. And so two of our our, our new lifers got baptized. So Ralph and Steph got baptized at the beach by Pastor Jonathan. And isn't that a beautiful picture? Husband and wife high-fiving each other, getting baptized, celebrating new life in Jesus. So can we just give the Lord a hand for what he's doing <laughs> among us? Yeah. So you can get baptized here, you can get baptized in a river, you can get baptized in the ocean. Um, and so listen, if that's, a, if that's a step that you haven't taken, that maybe you need to take, I would just uh, encourage you to to reach out come and talk to somebody I'd love to just chat with you about what it means to follow Jesus in in baptism because it's a really huge step. The second thing I want to just say quickly is that this Friday night 6:30 p.m. is our first worship night of the year and so it's going to be a uh, hymn night. So if you're like me and you kind of grew up in the church world in the 80s and the 90s singing all these old hymns of the faith that are really just rich lyrically and theologically. Um, we're going to be celebrating on Friday night, 630, right here in this room. And so, would encourage you to come and take a part Take part in that. It's going to be uh, a good time. The last thing, really quickly, I uh, want to say, I know sometimes parents bring uh, kids in here towards the end of the sermon. We're not going to get graphic or anything like that, but be, uh, we're gonna, we are going to just kind of touch on birds and bees sort of thing, right? And so, kind of PG-10 sort of thing unless you're homeschooled PG-17 in either case um, don't email me don't email me we homeschool our kids All right. so um, our preschool ministry and our kids ministry upstairs is is ready to receive your child right so if you don't want to have an awkward conversation on the way home now's the time to uh, just kind of go and drop them off they'll have a good time I promise now, the last couple of weeks, we've hit pause uh, to kind of celebrate some things in the life of our church family. Today, we're jumping right back into the message series that we've been in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever walked the face of planet Earth, Jesus Christ himself. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember, is all about the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven. What is it? How do we enter it? How should we live once we're citizens of that kingdom? What should our value system be once we're in his kingdom? We talked about the fact that it can really be disorienting at times, right? That's why the kingdom of Jesus is referred to oftentimes as the upside down kingdom. It challenges our worldview. It swims against the current of modern day cultural norms and values. These teachings are hard for us, But you need to understand they would have been also hard for the original audience as well. And so if you find these teachings difficult, challenging, if you feel kind of discombobulated by his teachings, I would just simply say to you, good! I think that's the intent. You're supposed to feel disoriented by his teachings in this sermon. We collectively are supposed to be sort of disoriented by his teachings in this sermon. Now you remember Jesus opened the sermon with the beatitudes, these eight keys to happiness in his kingdom and then he moved on and taught us how to be influencers in the world as salt and light, right? So we talked about the fact that we're not supposed to as believers retreat from the world. We're also not supposed to become like the world. All right, so we talked about the fact we're not supposed to become like bunker Christians and just kind of hide from the world. We're also not supposed to become chameleon Christians. We just kind of fade and adapt and become just like the world. We're to be different. He gives us a third way, salt and light. So radical are the teachings of Jesus that actually his original audience begin to wonder, is this a whole new thing? like is this a whole new movement is this a whole new religion like can we just throw away all the old testament scriptures and just follow this new rock star rabbi who's healing the sick and feeding the hungry and casting out demons and jesus answer to that question is i have not come to abolish the law but to what to fulfill the law So no, this is not a new thing. You can't just cast out all the scriptures. This is all interconnected. Like I'm coming to fulfill these things to bear them, uh, bring them to fruit in the world. And so we left off last time with this incredibly shocking teaching from Jesus where he says that unless our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, and we talked about how the Pharisees, they were the Michael Jordans of the day when it came to religion, They were the Tiger Woods of the day. They were the Taylor Swifts of the day when it comes to religion, right? They had it on lockdown. They were top of the heap. And Jesus looks at them and he looks at us and he goes, hey, unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it's like, What? are you talking about Jesus? And so we broke that down and talked about what that means. That Jesus is ultimately, he's after a deeper obedience. As it turns out, Jesus is not after a cold external obedience from you. He's actually after your heart, friend. And isn't the heart always the key? Because here's the deal once Jesus has your heart, he can and he will begin to reshape the lens through which you view and interact with the world around you. But the issue is, he has to have your heart. And see, I'm convinced that there are many people who are religiously lost in the world today. Religiously lost. They are religious, they're sitting in churches just like this one today. They're singing songs about Jesus, worshiping him just like we sing. They read their Bible occasionally. They listen to worship songs on their way to work or school in their car. They, they do all of the outward things, but they are religiously lost. Their hearts are far from Jesus. People who just kind of go through the emotions of religion outwardly, but inwardly, their hearts do not belong to Christ. Christ. And I think that's probably the biggest tragedy in the church today. And this sermon from Jesus really helps us to peel back the layers so that we can see our hearts for what they actually are and where they actually are. So, let me give you the big idea of the whole message this morning on the screens for you. Jesus didn't come to make you nice, he came to make you new. Jesus didn't come to make you nice. He came to make you new. Now, I must warn you, as we move throughout today and in the weeks that follow, this process can be painful. It can sting. It probably will sting, but I am convinced that it's absolutely worth it, and ultimately, it's for our good. And so if you have a Bible, let me encourage you, open it, turn it on, and head to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're gonna start in verse 21, go through 30, as Brittany uh, just read for us. Now, I think... To me, one of the greatest misconceptions in the world today is that human beings are born intrinsically good. You've heard that all over our culture, right? It's in Hollywood, movies, songs, blah, blah, blah. It's everywhere. That we're born intrinsically good, we're born as a blank slate, we're born with good hearts, and really we're just polluted as we go through life by external sources, right? So whether it's a lack of education or poor parenting or a bad life situation or something like that, but the scriptures actually teach us that we're born with hearts that are broken. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, uh, man, I'm just telling you, when I put my life into neutral, I don't drift towards holiness, I drift towards sin. If I'm not reading my Bible, if I'm not praying, if I'm not fasting, if I'm not worshiping in community, I, I drift towards sin like fast. And so do you, you bunch of sinners. Right, don't look at me like it's my problem. This is, this, is our, this is our problem. You need Jesus just like I do. And Jesus knows this, of course, about our hearts. And so what he's gonna do now, is he's gonna give us six statements that go like this. You have heard it said, but I say to you, you have heard it said, but I say to you six times. And in all six statements, they're, they're all concerning, interestingly, interestingly enough, human relationships. Isn't that fascinating? And I think what Jesus is doing is he's saying, listen, if we've entered into the kingdom of heaven, our relationships are necessarily going to change right? Like the way, the way that we speak to one another, the way that we treat one another, the way that we view each other. Like it's not going to remain the same. It can't remain the same. And so what he's going to do is next is he's going to cover six topics. Here they are. Anger, lust, marriage, oaths or promises, revenge, and love. So like really light and easy things that none of us struggle with, All right? Really easy stuff. Now this week we're going to be unpacking the first two, and we'll start with Anger. So we probably ought to pray so you guys don't get angry at me. Father, we we come to you, and we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for even the hard teachings in the scriptures. The ones that challenge us outside of our comfort zones. The ones that call us out of where we are to where you want us to be and where you've designed us to be, God. I pray as we work through these teachings from Jesus all those years ago and amount thousands of miles away that you would open our hearts help us be receptive to these truths help us not bristle against your words because of value systems that we've adopted from the culture around us God would you remove those barriers would you help these truths land in soft places in our souls this morning so that we could run hard after you and become more like you Jesus I ask all this in your beautiful name Amen. Now, I know uh, no one here, no one watching online, especially no one in this room, nobody here struggles with anger, okay? It's not an issue for all of you guys. You're not angry, you're just Italian, right? You're you're not angry, you're Irish. You're not angry, you're from New England. You're just a bunch of angry sinners, right? You, You all need Jesus. Now, what does Jesus have to say about this? The topic of anger. Let's look at it starting in verse 21. He says this, you have heard it said uh, that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So most of us hear that, we're like, Yes and amen. right? right, we're good there. But then verse 22 comes. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Now, interestingly enough, this is the sixth commandment. Uh, this is the one commandment that almost everybody in the world feels good about, right? In fact, you stop most people in the street and you ask them the question, hey, are you a good person? What's the most prominent answer gonna be? I ain't never killed nobody. I ain't never killed nobody. Like, like that is the lowest bar. <laughs> I've never murdered anybody. I guess I'm all right. But Jesus is showing us that the same spiritual sickness that ends in murder begins with anger in our hearts. See, murder is just the last stop on the train ride of anger. And the Pharisees were teaching this commandment as just minimal external obedience. That's how they were teaching it. That's how they were interpreting it. Jesus says wrongly. So the thought was, hey, listen, as long as I don't physically kill somebody, it's okay for me to hate them in my heart. It's okay for me to wound them with my words. It's okay for me to slaughter their reputation. It's fine for me to maim their lives as long as I don't actually physically kill them. Now, how many of you remember when you were a kid, the, the nursery rhyme, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me? You guys remember that? What a lie. What a lie. How many of us, man, our are, are deepest wounds and insecurities, man, we, we carry not from, from, from some physical assault, but because of the words of a, of a parent or an ex or a bully in middle school. Years ago, decades ago, even for some of us. Man, words are powerful. And where do our words come from? Are they external or are they, are they internal, right? Jesus argues they're from, they're from our hearts. That's why Proverbs 23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do, and I would argue say, flows from it. And listen, y'all, if we're being honest, isn't, isn't anger just an epidemic in our culture right now? Have you watched the news? Have you driven on 26 at 5 o'clock? Road rage? Bullying in school is like a big deal now? Had a shooting last week at a flipping Super Bowl parade, like over an argument apparently, and some mom of two kids lost her life. Character assassination on social media, cancel culture if someone disagrees with you more broadly around the world global wars, genocide what are all these evils rooted in ultimately if it's not anger see these are the fruits that are born from the seeds of anger now you might be asking the question well Chris does that mean that all anger is wrong and what do you think the answer to that question is no it's not Right? The Bible speaks of something called righteous anger. We think of the story of Jesus flipping over the tables of the money changers in the temple. We think of God's anger in the Old Testament when He sees His people people worshiping false idols because He knows that ultimately they will be enslaved by these idols. This is righteous anger. Parents, uh, just imagine if you're if you're at the park with your kid or grandparent, you're at the park with your grandkid, and some some creep snatches up your kid and starts running towards the van. How do you feel in that moment? Well, Lord, let me pray for their spirit. Right? No, man. You turn into mama bear real quick, don't you? You go into rage mode, right? Feel rage. And that is rightly placed anger, rage, right? When we hear of injustices being perpetrated against children and the vulnerable, like we ought to feel righteous anger. Like in some cases, it would be a sin for us not to feel righteous anger. But listen, y'all, if I'm being honest, and I don't know about you, but for me, like 97 times out of 100, when I get angry, it's self-serving, not righteous anger. Somebody cuts me off in traffic taking too long at the line at Publix and I have a meeting that I'm running late to get to. I'm exhausted after a long day at work and someone interrupts my quiet time. Again, 97 times out of 100, it's not righteous anger. That's not my biggest problem. It's self-righteous anger. What about simply feeling the emotion of anger? Is is that in and of itself wrong? No, I don't think so. I think it's when we open the door to anger and we invite it in and we make it a cup of tea, invite it to sit on the couch and watch a Netflix show with us. And before we know it, it's moved in with us, right? Anger has become our roommate. We let it simmer and we replay conversations over and over again in our minds. Well, if I I just would have said this, I wish I would have thought about that. And we slander and we wound with our tongues. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 4, in your anger, do not sin. Apparently, it's possible to be angry and not sin, but there's another kind of anger that does lead to sin, according to Paul. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. See, it's a it's a tactic of the, the enemy, of the evil one. Now, some of you, for sure, you're sitting out there, and you're like, hey, man, this is a great sermon. I'm gonna send this to my neighbor tomorrow when it gets published, and... I'm gonna make sure my spouse re-listens to it next week or something like that. But you know, Chris, I'm not an angry person. Like, I don't get road rage. I don't I don't scream at people at the public's line that cut in front of me like you do. And I mean, that's just not my problem. Okay, well, let me just ask, have, have you ever wished that something bad happened to someone else? Right, the boss that passed you over for that promotion that you worked for for years? The ex who cheated on you? The parent who abused you, either physically, emotionally, verbally, the punk in middle school that made fun of your ears or your nose or your hair, and you still carry those insecurities today? What about that? Have you ever used your words as a weapon to wound other people? See, because ultimately the seeds of anger may end in murder, but there are a thousand sins and stops along the way. Look what Jesus says halfway through verse 22. He says this, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now see, Jesus is bringing anger down to the level of our words and ultimately to the level of our hearts. Now Jesus uses two interesting words there for those who, whoever insults and whoever calls another fool. And I think these are the two primary ways that we express anger with one another, right? So that, that word fool in the Greek is the word moros, right? which is where we get our word moron. And it's really just this picture of unleashing calculated words designed to wound. It's this idea of just blowing up on someone. Now, for some of you, that's your go-to when you get angry, man. You just, you just unleash hell's fury on people, Right? You just unleash a lethal barrage of noise. You just word vomit all over everybody, your spouse and your kids, your roommate, whoever it is, and everybody around you is just left there bleeding from the shrapnel wounds of your words. That's some of you. I can remember, um, and I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I I remember years ago now in a different ministry context, there was a, a man who, you know, I thought we were friends and, invested time in him and one day I just got this, this letter man he just, shred, he just shredded me he just, just ripped me apart and I remember at first just being like deeply wounded by that right and after I'd gotten the javelin out of my chest and kind of stopped the bleeding and patched it up I began to feel what we always feel after we feel hurt and that is what anger but I just started to feel angry so late that night, couldn't sleep. Everybody in my family was in bed. I remember I got up and I opened up my laptop and I just started writing. And I wrote him like a five-page letter starting with the day of his birth all the way to present day, laying out how he was a coward, a terrible father and husband and an awful human being and all the ways that he had failed in life and Listen, it was good. It was really, really good. I was thinking, man, he's gonna need years of therapy after he reads this. This is gonna be awesome. So after about two hours of just vomiting on this computer screen, got ready to hit send, and it was like the Holy Spirit said, you know you're not sending that, right? How many of you have ever written like an email or text message and the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, you can't. You can't send that. Yeah, look at all these angry people in here. Y'all need Jesus too, right? So that that that's moros. That, and, and a lot of us we we deal with that. We like we struggle with that. Now others of you are like, man, I don't I don't blow up like that. Like I don't write nasty grams to people. I don't like I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, Pastor. Um well that's fine. But there's another word that Jesus uses here called insult. It's actually this is fascinating. It's an Aramaic word called rakah. Raka. And what it means is this. It, it means empty, empty of all value. So it's the idea of, of you saying to someone, either verbally or in your mind or heart, you're a nobody. You're a non-person. Raka is not an explosion of anger like Maros. It's counting somebody as a nobody. It's writing them off. It's saying to them, you are dead to me. You hurt me. You wounded me. You betrayed me. I couldn't care less what happens to you. Now, this is a different level of hatred and anger, right? It's one thing to blow up on someone, but to dehumanize them to the level of indifference, that's a whole different level of anger. All right, so whether it's moros blowing up on people or whether it's raka dehumanizing someone to the point of indifference, Jesus is saying this is murderous anger in your heart that makes you liable to the fires of hell. Like, whoa, relax, Jesus. We just escalated this really fast, man. We're talking about anger. We're now, now we're talking about hell. Now, let me. I'll just say this: to be sure, if you're here, you're watching online this morning, and you're in Christ, like you've placed your faith in Him and you're following Him, um, you, you won't get hell because He has taken on that punishment right on the cross. But can, can we at least be honest enough to admit that this kind of anger and hatred makes us liable to hell? Like it, it, it makes us deserving of hell. What, Jesus is saying, hey, y'all, this is a serious thing. Like you may just kind of brush over this in your life. You may just kind of discount it. Man, I ain't never killed nobody. And Jesus is bringing it back to the heart. He said, no, 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 this is a really, really big deal. Well, Jesus, man, I, I don't want to have a murderous heart. So what's the antidote? Verse 23, he says, so if you are offering your gift, at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift so Jesus is saying the antidote to anger listen y'all is forgiveness the antidote to anger is forgiveness Jesus is like hey listen if you're singing a song to Jesus in church on Sunday morning and you remember that there's something between you and a brother, you need to leave mid-song and go and make it right. I heard Jen Wilkin, one of my favorite Bible teachers, she was saying that, that, you know, for us, contextually, we're like, we don't have temples anymore. We don't have sacrifices on the altar, so we we miss some of this. But she was saying that in modern times, this would be like if you were on your wedding day standing at the altar before the minister in front of all of your friends and family, and you remembered that you had something against someone else or they had to, just pausing right in the middle of the ceremony, mid-vows, do you take her for better force? You know, pause, hang on, I need to go handle something. I need to go make a phone call, right? 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you're gone. Everybody's going, what in the, where did he go? Where did she go? And finally you come back in, you're like, all right, I'm, re, I'm ready to go now. Like we, we hear that, we're like, that's wild. And like nobody would ever, who would ever do that? And so what Jesus is communicating here is this, it's this idea of urgency, like this is not something that we, that we toy around with and we play with. Hey, you know what? I'm gonna sit on this for a while. I'm gonna wait till I see him at Thanksgiving or Christmas or I, I bump into him at the mall. or whatever. I'm gonna wait till my emotions subside a little bit. like this is, this is not something that we sit on. He's saying there's a level of urgency when this is in our hearts that we ought to forgive freely. Disciple of Jesus, man, have we not been forgiven of much by our Savior? how then can we be stingy when it comes to forgiveness with other image bearers when they wrong us? And Jesus continues in verse 25, he says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus is not only saying, hey, listen, you need to forgive freely. He's saying, you need to actively seek reconciliation. And see, a lot of us stop with the forgiving freely, don't we? Hey, man, I've forgiven them in my heart, so I'm good. But a lot of us don't take that second step of actively seeking reconciliation because that would actually require require us to set aside our pride and to look another human being in the face and say, "I'm sorry. I got blew it. I spoke out of turn. My words were sharp, and I was upset. But that's not—it's not acceptable. I want to love Jesus. Want to follow Jesus? Like this is not okay. Would you? Would you forgive me?" Most of us are fine to do that in our hearts, but to take that extra step of humbling ourselves to to go and actually seek reconciliation is a whole different thing. And Jesus is saying, one without the other is not sufficient in my kingdom. It's both together. And so let me just say, for some of you, the application today is, man, you need to go make a phone call this afternoon. Is it gonna be hard? Yeah, it's gonna be hard. Is it gonna be uncomfortable? Yeah, it's gonna be uncomfortable. That's what you need to do. Some of you need to send an email before you even turn your car on in the parking lot. Some of you need to set a coffee date this week to meet and talk to somebody. Not next month, not this summer when you see it, not not, uh -uh, now, today. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you you don't deal with these things quickly, there are real life consequences. Now you may not get thrown in jail, maybe you will, I don't know. But in any case, he's saying there are real life consequences Consequences to not dealing with these things in your heart and seeking reconciliation with others. Listen, here, here's the bottom line, guys. The horizontal breaks the vertical. Did you know that? The horizontal breaks the vertical. And our horizontal brokenness affects our relationship with God. That's why King David said in Psalm uh, 66, for instance, this is what he said, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. Did you catch that? David's saying, hey, listen, if I'd, if I'd taken this sin and, and clung to it and not dealt with it, he wouldn't have even heard my prayers. You think that's a big deal? You're like, Chris, that's the Old Testament. All right, Peter, in 1 Peter 3 says this, husbands, if you live in a way that's not honoring with your wife, your prayers will be hindered. Husbands, if you're not loving your wife, caring for your wife, laying down your life for your wife, serving your wife, God's like, I'm not, even gonna, I'm not even gonna hear your prayers, dude. Now, some of you, I'm just guessing, some of you are frustrated because it seems like God doesn't hear or answer your prayers. It seems like every time you pray, it's just kind of bouncing off the ceiling and coming back down. And my question for you would just simply be this. How are your horizontal relationships with other people who are created in the image of God? Are you saying moros or raka with your mouth or in your heart? Now listen, this is, this is harder for some of us than others of us, especially those of us who have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. This is hard, right? I have to apologize to people all the, all the time. And for some of you, you listen, you, you just need to start cutting out the sources of anger in life. So that, that person or that po- political figure or celebrity that you're following on social media, unfollow, be free. Be free stop following them political shows on tv or on the radio listen y'all i i stopped listening to political stuff years ago you want to know why because i noticed that they made me angry i would start to feel tribal like us versus them and i was like yeah let them burn and i'm like man this is not healthy for my soul like i can't I can't. I can't consume this and then walk in the kingdom of Jesus. like this is not good for me. Now listen to me. S- some of y'all, in fact, I would just say all of us. You're going to have to give some stuff up. This is the upside down kingdom of Jesus. It's hard, but it's good. It's difficult, but it's worthy. It's for a good. And then Jesus begins to shift gears now from from anger to lust, also a topic that's not a huge deal in our culture today, right? Just like anger. Nobody struggles with that. Verse 27. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. All right, cool, cool, cool. Verse 28. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I've heard it said there are three types of men, those who lust, those who lie, and those who are dead. And... um Written by a woman, no doubt. But a lot of truth there as well, right? Now, to be sure, men struggle with this. And honestly, this is usually the part of the sermon where all the dudes have their heads down and they're just praying the preacher doesn't make eye contact with them and all the women have their arms folded sanctimoniously. Like, can't believe I have to deal with this trash in my life. Can you believe that? For a moment, let's just speak to the ladies here. I had a deep theological, philosophical insight, and just maybe you want to write this down this morning. Ladies be lusting too, all right? Ladies be lusting too. Uh, listen, I read the Bible story about Joseph and Potiphar's wife, right? That's in there. Now, maybe you're not as likely to, to stumble into, say, a porn addiction as a man, although I'll tell you that all the studies show that the rates for women who are consuming porn is skyrocketing in our culture especially among the younger generations ladies you maybe are not as as tempted to undress someone attractive in in your mind but what about when you see a man who romances his lady really well one who loves her well who's funny and thoughtful and doting and sends flowers to the office for no reason at all do you ever daydream what it would be like to be married to him that's lust too. Who among us hasn't had a lustful thought when we redefine it the way that Jesus defines it? And yet, for most of us, we just dismiss it as harmless. This is not a, this is not a big deal to us. And yet, for Jesus, it's a huge deal. Now, let me, let me just say this as a, as a caveat. We, we, as human beings, this is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. We, we are hardwired for beauty, you, you know that. I know that. We're hardwired for beauty, right? We're created to see, recognize, appreciate beauty, whether it's in arts, in music, in a beautifully plated dish at a fancy restaurant, a beautiful scene in nature, or in other human beings, right? Like recognizing beauty is not lust. But it's when the look turns into a gaze and the gaze turns into a, an obsession, And an obsession turns into stalking on social media. It's a longing to consume. So when we begin to objectify another person created in the image of God as an object to be used instead of a soul to love. So why is this such a big deal? Why is lust such a big deal to Jesus when it seems like in culture it's just not a big deal at all? Three reasons I'm gonna give you quickly why I feel like lust or I think lust is a big deal to Jesus. Number one, is lust diminishes sex. See, see, sex, sex is good. Now, if you grew up in church culture that never talked about sex, or the only message about sex in your church growing up was don't do it, right? This may, may seem odd to you that we're even talking about sex in church, but you gotta understand, sex is good. Number one, number two, sex is God's idea. Do you know that? Like I didn't look down one day and go, "Dang it, what are they doing?" never even thought about that no it, it's his idea it's a good gift to us but I always tell people sex is like sex is like fire right like if you were to ask me hey Chris is, is fire good my first question to you would be where's it at Right? If it's in a fireplace on a cold winter's night, man, that could be life giving and warm and comfortable and romantic. You cook food on it, really cold outside, it might even save your life. It could be life giving. But if you take that same fire and you put it on the couch, not so good. It's destructive, right? It leads to, to death. That's what sex is, right? As long as it's in the fireplace that God designed it to exist and flourish, which is marriage, it's good. Like we're meant to enjoy it. But outside of that fireplace and the confines that God has created, it brings death and destruction and chaos and disorder of all sorts. More than that, sex is really meant to flourish in marriage as a picture of Jesus and his bride, the church. And what lust does is it takes sex and it cheapens it. It makes it something lesser, something subhuman and animalistic. It cheapens a good gift. So it's a big deal. Second reason I think it's a big deal to Jesus is it dehumanizes image bearers. Right? It devalues another human being, just like anger does. Lust dehumanizes another person. It takes a good gift from God's sex and distorts it. And isn't that what our enemy does with everything? Right? He takes the gift of Food and drink and money and hobbies and sex or you name it. And he just distorts it enough. He just, just, just twists it just a little bit so that what was meant as a blessing for our flourishing now becomes a curse that destroys us. He does the same thing with sex. Good gift from God gets distorted now it's destructive. And so when we begin to see people as pixels on a screen or Objects to be used for our pleasure instead of image bearers created in the very image of God as souls to be loved, we have lost our way. We've lost our way. And in one sense, I think what Jesus is saying here is, listen, no, nobody just falls into adultery. Just like nobody falls into murder. Right? Like, I don't think anybody wakes up and like, you know what, today I think I'm gonna become a murderer. He's going to check that off my bucket list. Nobody does that. It's not the way it works. Right? Adultery is just the last stop on the train of lust. No one accidentally has an affair. Usually the seeds have been planted and watered and cultivated for a long time before the actual event. And listen, I'm sensitive to this because I know there are scores of you, even in our faith family here, many of you who are some of my very best friends in the world. Who have either been a victim of this or you've been the perpetrator. And if that's you, the first thing I want you to know is that in Jesus there is forgiveness and there's grace. There's forgiveness and grace. God will turn ashes to beauty. I want you to hear that. There's grace. But Jesus is warning us here because he loves us. This is for our good. The third reason I think that Jesus is so serious about lust is that it enslaves our hearts. It enslaves our hearts, right? The, the addictions that are associated with lust, right? We, the list is too long to name, but porn consumption, among other things like this, this stuff enslaves when Jesus came to free us. And so what do we do? What do we do? Well, I think as people of the kingdom, we have to refuse to cultivate anger and lust in our lives. I think one of the most helpful concepts is the uh, doctrine and the idea of Christian siblinghood. Like learning to to see each other as sisters and brothers in Christ instead of objects to be used, image bearers to love. Jesus escalates this even further just in case you weren't uncomfortable enough. In verse 29, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, Jesus is using hyperbole here, as he often does, to say this Do whatever it takes to guard your heart. That's what he's saying. Take drastic measures to guard your heart there's even an account of a, a church father named uh Origen who uh literally castrated himself to rid himself of lustful thoughts now we'll we'll give you some other options this morning, but he he took it very seriously. He later reportedly came to regret it. you think <laughs> See, here's the deal. You, you can pluck out your eyes. You can pluck out both of your eyes and cut off both of your hands, and you can cut off other stuff as well, but you can still lust in your heart. Can't you? You still got your mind. You got your imagination. It, it's Listen, y'all, it's a heart issue. It's not about your eyeballs or your hands. It's a heart issue. It's always been about the heart. So what Jesus is saying is do whatever it takes. Whatever drastic measures you need to take to guard your heart you do them it's kind of like hey man if you got a sweet tooth and diabetes stay out of the candy shop bro if you have a tendencies for alcoholism stay out of the bar if DMing with an ex is a temptation for you get rid of social media I don't know if you know this or not but this is actually a thing. you can live without social media did you know that I know in 2024, that's hard to believe. One of the best things, honestly, I had a sabbatical last summer is that I turned off all my social media accounts. It was awesome. It was glorious. And I'm now starting to ease back into it, but I have all kinds of rules and guardrails. Uh, Listen, I'm so much happier. I'm hardly ever on it. I'm so much happier. Some of you just need to get rid of social media. Listen, if porn is a struggle on your smartphone, get a dumb phone. rather have a dumb phone in heaven than a smartphone in hell right to use Jesus' analogy this is one reason by the way listen y'all we need Christian community this is one reason why we need places and people that we can be honest with people that we can just come to and say man listen I am I'm struggling I am struggling in this area, man. I don't like that this is in my heart. And I, man, I want to honor Jesus and want to follow him, but I've got the seeds of this junk in my life. Would you, man, like, would you pray for me? Man. Would you hold me accountable? Would you ask me the hard questions that I don't want you to ask me, but I need you to ask me every week. God, would you would you help me? Like we we need each other, like we need community. And there's so many Christians, I feel like, that are trying to lone ranger it out there. And listen, in the Christian world, a lone ranger is a dead ranger. You can't do this alone. You were never designed to operate in the kingdom of Jesus alone. It's impossible. We need one another. I need you. You need me. We have to have one another, or this will never bear fruit in your life. Now, let me say this: uh, if you've fallen prey to this sin, whether it's adultery or some form of sexual sin that's not adultery, something else. Let me just say this: don't hide in shame. Don't hide in shame. Listen, y'all. We are, we are only as sick as our secrets. We are only as sick as our secrets. Listen to First John uh, one nine. This is beautiful. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What an incredible promise, friend! Listen to me. Your eyes not the problem. Your hands not the problem. It's your heart. It's your heart. And so let me finish where we started. Jesus did not come to make you nice. He came to make you new. And he is the only one who can give you a new heart. He's the only one who can regenerate your heart. This is the new birth that he talks about in John chapter three. And here's the deal. Once we get a new heart from Jesus, it's only as we abide in him, John 15, and we're led by his spirit that this renewal begins to grow in our lives. And let me say this, it's never a light switch that we flip. Wouldn't that be nice? Come to know Jesus, flip it on, all sin's gone. That would be awesome. That's not how it works. It's every day waking up and coming to him again and saying, God, I need you. I can't walk this path in your kingdom without you. God, would you, would you, would you help me walk this path? Like, I, I want to honor you. Like, this is the process that the Bible calls sanctification, It's like week after week, year after decade for the course of your lifetime. So that by God's grace, I'm not the man today that I was five years ago. And by God's grace, five years from now, I won't be the man that's standing in front of you today. This is sanctification. It's important. This is key to walking in the kingdom of God. Now, let me just kind of summarize all of this with a few take home points. So here it is for all you note takers right here at the end. Several things. Number one, Jesus is saying, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because from your heart flows everything else. Your actions, your motives, your words, guard your heart. Number two, he's saying, forgive freely. We've been forgiven of much, we must forgive freely. And then number three, connected to number two, is don't just forgive freely, but actively seek reconciliation. That's important, right? We like like number two, usually, or we're okay with it, and we punt on number three, and we can't. If we're going to walk in His kingdom faithfully, number four, He says, "Protect your eyes. You should guard what comes into your eyes." Right? So whether it's what you look at on your smartphone or listen, there I'm just telling you, I'm not trying to be legalistic. There are certain Netflix shows I won't watch. I don't know. I have friends and like, hey man, can can you believe episode three? I'm like, no man, sorry, didn't see episode three. I'm not going to watch any of it because I just know that stuff's not good for my soul. Like I'm not, I just. I know where it's going to take me. I don't want to go there. Protect your eyes. Number five, Jesus is saying, watch your hands. Watch, watch what you do with your actions. Right? Your, your actions matter. And then number six, guard your heart. You're like, Chris, you put that on there twice. I know, that was on purpose. That's the truth that sandwiches all of these things together that Jesus is teaching us, right? Because all of this stuff flows from our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, so as we close, let me just hearken your memory back to what Jesus said in verses 25 and 26 where he's talking about, hey, unless we seek reconciliation, we might end up in prison. He says this in verse 26. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out of prison until you have paid the last penny. Now, you've got to understand something. In those days, when you got put in jail, you also had no way of working. If you're in jail with no way of working that means you have no way to get out of prison unless unless someone would come and pay what they did not owe to get you out of prison and purchase your freedom on your behalf does that sound like any other story you've ever heard here listen, Jesus has done for you what you could never do for yourself he lived a perfect sinless, holy life on this earth for 33 and a half years no anger, no no sinful anger no giving in to lust he lived the life that you should have lived and I should have lived but we couldn't because we were all broken we were born that way and he came into this busted up world not because he had to but because he loves you and he lived that perfect life for you and he died a torturous bloody sinner's death to pay for to atone for your sin because you were in the prison of your own sin and self-righteousness and he bought the price for you he didn't stay there he walked out of that grave three days later and he offers you a new heart not religion, not a set of morals to follow. He offers you a new heart. A brand new heart and a brand new start. So the application is super simple this morning. We're almost done. If you're here, you're watching online, and you've never trusted in Jesus, would you trust in Him today? I don't know, maybe you got invited by somebody, maybe you just accidentally found our live stream, and you're like, Wow, that's, this is deep. Didn't mean to stumble into this today. If you've never trusted Jesus, maybe today is that day, right, where you would just pray to God and cry out and say, God, I, I recognize that I need a new heart. Like, it's not just my outward actions that aren't right or pleasing to you, it's, it's the whole source of my being is wrong. And I realize now that all these things, anger and lust and a thousand other things, like I can't do this by myself. There's not enough discipline in the world for me to get there. I don't need a makeover. I need a brand new heart. And so God, the best way I know how, I just wanna confess my sin to you. I wanna give it to you. I wanna ask you, Jesus, for a new heart. Would you send me your Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me in this life? I wanna trust in you, Jesus. I wanna follow you. Maybe that's your first step today is trusting in him and maybe you're here and you man you've done that you've trusted in jesus but maybe you see today because of the words of jesus that you have lingering anger in your heart that you have unconfessed lustful sin in your life and if that's you i just encourage you to two things one ask him to help you kill it This is not a one-time thing. This is every day when we wake up, Jesus, would you help me? Would you help me? Like there are these seeds in my heart, in my flesh, and I wanna kill them. I don't want these things to be present in my life. Like I wanna honor you. I wanna walk freely and faithfully in your kingdom. I want all that you have for me, but I don't have the strength to crucify these things on my own. God, so would you give me your strength, Spirit? Would you help me where I can't today? So begin to kill these things with his help. And then the second part of it is to take an action step today. Listen, y'all, the Christian faith is not passive. It's always active. So some of you, man, you need to make a phone call this afternoon to restore a relationship. Some of you need to confess a sexual addiction to a trusted friend or a pastor or a small group leader. Some of you need to cut off an affair that you think is secret, but God sees it all. Some of you need to stop flirting with that co-worker at the office. Some I mean, of you needed to delete your social media. I don't, man, I don't know what your next step is. I'm just telling you, there's a next step for you today. And I want to encourage you to take it. Live to honor Jesus. Live to honor Jesus. And the blessings of his kingdom will begin to bloom and flourish in your life. Let's pray, and then we'll worship him. God, we, we, I confess that th- these are hard teachings it's way easier just to focus on moral, outward conformity, going through the religious motions. It's a lot harder when you begin to untangle the mess in our hearts, in our souls, God, and yet that's the source of life. So God, would, would you help us? Would, would you help us with our hearts for the person here who, who doesn't know you, God, I pray that they would give their hearts to you today for the first time. They would exchange their heart of flesh and that you would give them your heart and put your spirit in them. They could begin to follow this brand new pathway in your upside down kingdom. And God, I I pray for those of us who know you, but man, this is a struggle. Like these seeds are are there lurking of of anger and sharp words and lustful thoughts and actions and secrets that we hope nobody ever finds out about. God, would you free us from that? We wanna walk in freedom, but our confession is we can't do it by ourselves. Like I don't, we don't have enough self-discipline. We need you. God, so would you help us? Would you help us take action steps this week that would honor you and free us? We pray it all. We ask it all in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Church, would you stand as we worship?